What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Kat Nance is a trauma-informed somatic pleasure and relationship coach. She coaches people and couples on connecting to pleasure, playful conflict, and listening deeply to their bodies. This is our second conversation with Kat, and we love talking with this human. This week, we're talking about relationship anarchy, implicit and explicit boundaries, and why we sometimes want to annihilate our partners. Strong words, but I think we can all relate. Enjoy the conversation, and we'll see you on the other side. Well, we are once again joined by uh, Kat Nance, who has been on the show before. I feel like I feel like not that long ago. No, I don't think it was. I feel like it was just like in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, very excited to have you back. Welcome back, Kat. For for folks who maybe you know newer listeners or someone who maybe was taking a break from podcasting in the summer, um, <laughs> uh, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself and let our listeners know. Uh, what kind of work it is that you that you do and that you specialize in? Yeah, thanks again for having me again. Um, I loved being on last time. So I'm Kat Nance. I'm a somatic sex coach. And uh, I think you all talk about somatic stuff quite a bit on your podcast. So I don't think that piece is actually all that new to listeners. But um, basically, my a big part of my job is supporting either individuals or couples in completing trauma responses 
that they may not really be aware are actually running their relationships or their life. So usually people show up to me and they think, okay, I have this problem. I'm really, you know, I don't enjoy sex or I don't enjoy sex the way that I used to, or we've got this, uh, you know, pattern or dynamic in our relationship that keeps showing up. And often it's that there's some trauma pattern or um, boundary ruptures that are occurring in the relationship. So most people go to counseling or therapy because they want to, you know, talk about things. And then my approach is we want to feel the things. What's what language or conversation is happening in the body below the surface? Um, so that is, I guess, a little bit about what I do. I I got a question. Is there any is there anyone out there? Is there anyone out there above the age of I don't know twelve six months? Uh, yeah, yeah. That would, like, is there anyone out there who doesn't have trauma? I feel like I feel like tr- like. Just living is traumatizing. (laughs) Just being alive is so painful. Honestly, it's not something I really thought about that much until, until COVID, until the pandemic. And, you know, I like out of the six years of podcasting that I've been doing, trauma very much has been like a, uh, an integral part of a lot of the conversations that I have had on both this show and, and sick boy, the, the other podcast that I host. Um, but it wasn't until COVID that I I started to kind of like realize that we're this all traumatized. Widespread. Like we, it's yeah, we all have trauma, and that's a uh, I don't I don't know I I've never I think I, I think especially the, when we spoke to you last I was kind of like fuck yeah man wow who's not who isn't who yeah. isn't traumatized out there. Yeah, nobody. The answer is nobody. (laughs) Nobody escapes their childhood without being fucked up in some way. Like that's just part of it. I think the the pandemic has really made like I know for me it's really exposed me to chronic stress, which you know I've had in periods of my life, but haven't had in these prolonged ways before. And it's really given me a lot of perspective that lots of people live that way, Mm. like the chronic ambiguous. Because right right now it's like we have this ambiguous threat. The, the virus is an ambiguous threat, whereas like a direct threat or a direct boundary rupture is easier to deal with, like, um, you know, a car accident or, um, you know, something very acute or specific happens, then we can narrow in our body knows how to respond to that kind of threat. But our body really struggles with ambiguous threat, because it doesn't know what is what, what are we trying to fight here? And then it kind of becomes everything and everybody because we don't know where to direct that self-protective response. Mm. And so like, and that's what, how lots of marginalized people live all the time, right? Like, you know, I, I didn't, but lots of people do. And so I think mm. a lot of people are realizing, oh shit, this is just like, you know, it's it, our bodies don't do well under, you know, chronic stress. They're not really built for that. That, that what you're describing, um, just, I was having this thought as I was driving to school today and I I was like, I just feel like we all like the guts of everything got exposed with COVID. Like there was no, you know, as soon as COVID happened, all of the inequities and all of the unjustness um, of just like each other of our like fellow human beings were living every day of their lives with um, got revealed and, uh, and yeah, I guess, I guess, I don't know if that's a silver lining, you know, that we all mm-hmm. sort of not, and maybe all isn't a good way to put it, but s- some people, myself included, just became suddenly more aware. I think I knew intellectually that 
lots of people were having a really hard time, but it wasn't until the pandemic that I realized what a huge percentage of the population that, that, that is for so many on a day-to-day basis. And well, that's just been a, that realization in itself has been in a total roller coaster over the last couple of years now. But, um, yeah. Anyway, I don't really have anything else to say about that. I just, I, it just resonates like with exactly where my head was at this morning. Um, I, I, one of the things that, um, that has come up on the show recently that I thought would be really fun to talk to you about is the, the idea of, um, relationship anarchy. So, mm-hmm. so this is a term that's kind of new to me. Um, and the way it came up on the show was we had a listener who had submitted a question uh, via audio um, and we played it on the show. And, and really the question had to do with asking Bridie and I how we communicate to the people in our life how our relationship works. Because our relationship very much is not the typical married relationship. Um, it doesn't fall within the like, you know, the, 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 the box that most relationships kind of fit into when you think of a, a marriage between two people. And so the, the term relationship anarchy kind of came up in, in the response to that question. Um, and I, it made me realize, A, I was like, oh, maybe I, maybe I participate in relationship <laughs> anarchy. Maybe that's the term that I didn't know existed mm-hmm. that sort of gives a little bit of explanation as to what it is that we do and, and what I view our relationship to be. Um, but I, but I also feel like I don't quite have a full grasp on, on what relationship anarchy really is. Um, do you, do you, do you know much about relationship anarchy and like, and, and what are your, mm-hmm. like, what, what can, what can you teach me about who I am? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I well, when I feel like relationship anarchists kind of get a like a bad rap because I think there's like there's like two camps for relationship anarchy. One is like I'm going to do whatever I want no mm. matter what the consequences are and like like I want to do whatever I want and I don't want to have to be accountable to anybody. So I think there's like there's this like camp of like relationship anarchists and this is who we see or what we know the most of, I would say. Like if I'm like on a Facebook group where people are talking about non-monogamy, usually like this is what they, they're saying relationship anarchy is. But relationship anarchy is really just like having many significant relationships. Like like I would say that I actually, in a lot of ways, am a relationship anarchist, even though I don't really like identify as that. I think I move through the world that way. Like my, my close friendships are really significant to me. I have, you know, a plan to grow old with my friends. And, um, you know, if they text me or call me that something's going on in their life, I will drop things to go tend to them. Even if I'm with like, you know, my family or my partner. So there's like, it's like really prioritizing many different types of relationships in your life. Mm. I think that's, that's how I view it. Like if we're to simplify it and, so I think, you know, in relationship anarchy didn't start in non-monogamy. It was just like, it, you know, it didn't originate there. And now that's sort of like wh- how, where we identify it the most. Mm. Um, but I'm curious, like what relationship anarchy means to you? Like when you're, you're saying you're feeling like, you know, you might be that, then what do you? Yeah. So like, I mean, this, there's so many, 
there's so many different labels and terms that are used within the world of of non-monogamy and polyamory um in order to because i feel like that that identity let's let's use polyamory for an example like every person who identifies as polyamorous is different from every other person who identifies as polyamorous really it's like it's yeah it it's no no two partnerships are the same and so when when i think about where i'm at and the ways that i sort of navigate relationships in my life um I, like my big thing is is especially with like family or friends or people in my social circle is like there's a, i feel like there's a lot of people that don't get that don't understand the relationship that Braddy and I have. Mm-hmm. And, and I look at that and I go, well, I don't fucking care. Like I actually, I actually right. don't, I don't care. I don't fucking care what you think. Like it doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't matter to me. But in, even in saying that there's another part of me that's like, I also can't really explain it. Yeah. Even if I cared enough to try to explain it to you, I don't think I have the ability, the ability to explain it because it's just what I know. I know it in my heart. I know whatever whatever it is 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 true, but I don't know how to explain that to you. And so when relationship anarchy kind of came into our worldview, I was like, "Oh, this is this kind of gives me a bit of a a vocabulary to explain what it is that I see us doing in our relationship." And that was basically, you know, looking at the different ways that the, the different elements to a relationship that typically fall under whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship and say there's like, you know, 15 categories of things that fall under that umbrella of what the values are in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Not all 15 are things that I share with Bridie. You know, like we we do not live together. So we don't we don't have a we don't have a home together. We don't have sex with one another. Um, we, we share finances. We, we're romantic yet and like intimate, but not, but not physically sexual. Um, and so like, but then I look at my, my partner Leah and I'm like, okay, well, we also don't live together, but we are sexually involved with one another. We have a physical relationship. We also have this like romantic, romantic, romantic connection and this this intimate connection we do not share finances together um and and then i start looking at my friendships and it's this it's like the same thing where i'm like oh yeah like i'm i am intimate with my you know brian and taylor like i i i don't mind the idea like i i like the idea of of being able to sit close to them and feel the the warmth of their body you know, like mm. I, but I don't, I don't share home with them. I don't share finances with them. Well, right. you kind of share I finances share, with I, them. I, yeah, I do. Yeah. I guess we share, <laughs> we share a business. So yeah, no, you're right. I yeah. do. And so like, there's these little things that like, I see, oh, I'm, I'm plucking these, these values or these, these, I don't know what, what the other, what another word like would traits be. Or characteristics traits or characteristics of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. And like, these are the things that exist within these particular relationships in my life. And I don't think there's a single human 
that I share all of those traits with. Yeah. Right. And so like to me that if, if that is what relationship anarchy is, then that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for sure that, that whole notion of like, I don't really care. Like I, I, I don't want to take responsibility or, or accountability for my actions or like, I, that's, that's not a part of it. That has nothing to do with it. It really is just like me kind of making sense of the choices that I make in what I decide to share with certain people in my life and what I, what I lean on other people for and what I expect from other people. Mm-hmm. And that really speaks to me. Like that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Like all your relationships, like they're so authentic to what wants to be created with that person. Right. Yeah. I feel like that is relationship, ship anarchy. It, it's like letting what relationship wants to occur there occur instead of it being, you know, the, the relationship escalator or, or feeling like you have all of those things with specific people or, you know, you're married. So you should have all of these aspects. You should be having sex and you should be living together. You know, you get to decide for yourself. I, you know, I honestly think so many people practice different pieces of relationship anarchy without realizing it, even with in monogamy, right? Mm-hmm. Like lots of people are already you know, practicing pieces of that or or their relationships have that quality and they just don't, they don't know that they don't have Mm. that language to call it that. Yeah. I would, I, I love what you said about, uh, like the many significant relationships. Um, that's something I've been thinking and talking about a lot with people is this idea or the, 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 like the needs fulfillment part of why we form relationships. Like what is it you need from, need or want to give or whatever from the person you're in relationship with. And I, I'm so curious to hear, do you have like discussions with your close friends Mm. about how, what your needs and expectations are of each other in this sort of talking about growing old together and, and things like that? Yeah, Yeah, totally. With some of them, I do some, some, I don't, it just sort of like, there's this, um, like these unspoken agreements. And then with, with my closer friends, yeah, we've had those conversations or we'll have like check-in, check-in conversations or hangouts just to see like, you know, are your needs getting met in our friendship? Do you, are you feeling good right now? Like, is there anything else I could be doing more or less of, um, like conversations that I have with my partner or any partner, right. Is just having those conversations in friendship because I, you know, I realized years ago that I was like, it's so weird that we don't design our friendships. Like we will have these like conversations in our relationship when we're usually when like, if you're monogamous, then you bump up against things where it's like, okay, now we've got to talk about these, you know, implicit boundaries or expectations, agreements, whatever. And then they become explicit. And like, now we're talking about them, but in friendship, we just sort of like fade, fade, fade people out. It's like, we bump up against something and we, we phase out of friendship and we just usually we ghost, we like, this is, we, we ghost a lot of people in friendship. Right. And it's, it's not seen as, as big of a deal. I was talking with one of my best friends yesterday. And um, like I, when I was growing up, my mom, she wouldn't have called herself non-monogamous, but she was in a lot of ways. And her, her best friend was one of her like lifelong partners, really. And this, this woman had a significant place in our life. Like she was my aunt. And when she passed, that was like one of the biggest devastations for our whole family but nobody really got that and like even now if I say like like I've lost three parents now one last week three parents in my life I've lost three parents and 
And still like the most significant loss was this aunt because she was just so significant in our lives. And, and people don't get that if I say that because people, our culture doesn't value friendship. It doesn't value these other roles in our life, right? It's like, if I lost my partner, everybody would be dropping off food, checking in on me. But if I lost my best friend, there wouldn't be as much, <coughs> you'd be like, that's really sucks, but also let's get, get on with life here. Yeah. And so it's interesting because I can see that culturally there is this shift happening where we're getting that like other people hold, you know, large significance in our life. Um, I don't remember where I was going with that, except that the, this friend of mine, she is somebody who we talk about this with. Like, you know, we talk about things like, you know, if somebody dies in our life, how do we support each other? Or like, what are our expectations in friendship together? And that's really um, um, like soothing, you know, to know where you stand in a friendship and and what to expect from that person. because all of us have had big things happen in our life and then our friends didn't show up and we expected mm. them to. And, and we thought, Hey, I thought you'd be here more for this or, Hey, you're here a little bit too much. And that's actually not what I need right now. Mm. And so actually navigating those conversations ahead of time is, is um, yeah, really settling and comforting to know, okay, this is what our friendship is. And here's what I can expect from you. Turn me on podcast. We'll be back after this short break. 
But in making the implicit explicit, and I know boundaries is is like another is a body of work that you um, have sort of designed some education around for your clients. Um, can you speak a, a little bit more to to the process of sort of that that beginning of understanding that you have a boundary or boundaries that maybe have historically, you've historically not defended or not held. And especially in long-term relationships, when or how to go, okay, we need to talk about this. And yeah. it's not something I'm just making up in the moment. It's something that's existed for a long time. And I didn't real like, I did not realize that, mm -hmm. um, was causing this ish, this recurrent issue. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, making the, the implicit, I guess, explicit and skills and advice for that. Yeah. Okay. I love donut. <laughs> right. <laughs> Standing on the table. Here. <laughs> so hey, cute. Attention to yeah, me. I just yeah. want to snuggle. Uh, <laughs> he's pretty snuggly. Yeah, pay attention. I need to set uh, boundaries on snuggling. That's what I need to do because he's snuggly, but sometimes it's too much. Sometimes it's not what I need. That's right. Actually, animals are so, it's, it's such a great learning playground for boundaries and it was like because we have a cat and so this is where I teach my daughter a lot about boundaries like notice the mm. cat's body language like what do you think is going to happen if you mm -hmm. keep touching the cat and then also like you know the cat's going to scratch you and that is the consequence of you continually pushing the cat's boundaries and she's just like not getting it like she gets it and she just keeps doing it anyway because that's like the one place where she has like you know the most power over this like little animal <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> the implicit and explicit boundaries in a, you know, a long-term relationship, the thing is that I think first, the important thing to get is that these implicit boundaries are already in the space. So the expression of the boundary is already happening. The natural consequence to that boundary, not being honored, honored is already occurring. And it might look like, um, distance between the two of you, things you can't talk about, uh, ways that your body recoils in, in your partner's approach to your body. Um, it, it, come, it may come through as passive aggressive behavior, frustration, irritation. So it's already, you already are expressing your boundary. Mm. And we just, we want, we want to make our boundaries explicit in long term in relationships generally if it feels like a good thing to be doing, most part, usually it is. We want to make them explicit so that we can agree to the boundaries. Because mm -hmm. most of the time, you know, partners who really love us, if we're in like healthy enough relationships, they want to honor our boundaries. And, and sometimes it's like, you know, a boundary will be being like crossed or ruptured. The other partner doesn't quite know, but they can feel in like their soma, something is off here. Mm -hmm. And then the other partner's like, I'm fine, it's fine. Like, like is just not acknowledging it. So the conversations happening there up and like cognitively, like they're, they're having this dialogue that's kind of like ignoring the boundary that's under the surface. And so it's still happening anyway. And so I think often, you know, a lot of, of course I get the question a lot, like, how do I express my boundaries or how do I know that I have a boundary? I'm like, you know, you already know, you know, where you're feeling frustrated, where you're feeling um, withdrawn, where you're feeling, you can see where the natural consequences are already happening. It's already happening in the relationships. And the difficult thing is, is what people are usually actually saying is that I don't want to enforce the consequences to this boundary 
So I just keep not actually being explicit about it. Huh. Like people will say, I, you know, I have this boundary with somebody in my life and I just don't know what to do about it. And often it's, you do actually know what to do about it. You just really don't like the answer, mm. right? Like if it's somebody who's like, I have this friend who just calls me too often and, you know, I love them, but it's, it's too much. It's just overwhelming to me. And so then you stop, start not answering your phone. The boundaries, you're already setting your boundary in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. And it's already impacting the relationship in some way. And so the answer might be, if I say, I need you to call me less, there might be a rupture within the relationship because that other person might be like, well, I need a friend who I can call mm. whenever I want. And so then there might create distance. So what people are afraid of is, I don't want the consequence that I know I need to enforce to actually occur. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it means I might need to leave the relationship or the relationship will drastically change both things that we generally don't want occurring because we're attached to people. Right. Mm-hmm. So does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do though in those moments? You know, like, cause, cause so like, you know, that, Jeremy, that's, I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that, that resonates with me deeply because I, I, I hate, I hate upsetting other people. I hate making other people feel the ways that I would, that I wouldn't want to feel. And so like, if I like, let's use that example. If I knew someone, a friend who was relying on me, on me for, you know, um, these like, these continuous phone calls and it's just too much for me. And I want to set the boundary that I don't want them to call me, but I know that it's likely going to hurt their feelings. I mean, like I'm that guy, I'm the guy that goes, I'll just not, I'll just not answer. I'll just just not answer because that's easier for me. So like, what do you, you know, I suppose it's just, I, I feel like I already know what the answer is, which is like finding a way to express your boundary that is that is very clear and and so that you can express your needs and your expectations in the gentlest way possible. But is there more to it than that? You know, like how do you do it without without creating that rupture? Yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. So I, boundaries are so nuanced, right? Like there's, there's so many layers to boundaries and I'm hearing like a few different things in there. So one is like, what is it that you're afraid of feeling, right? Like what actually is occurring in your body? Like even just now, as you're thinking about it all, oh, if I tell them that I don't want them to call me as much, I'm worried about hurting their feelings, but what is it that you're really feeling in your body? Cause it's not just, I'm worried about hurting their feelings. It's like, how does my body respond to their hurt feelings? Mm. Or there's also the assumption that they can't, they, they're not able to feel their feelings as well, because what if I tell them and it upsets them? Yeah. It's okay for people to be upset. It's okay for people to be hurt and they're already being hurt. Right. Mm. Cause you're already creating the distance in the relationship and they're already wondering what's going on again. It's already happening. And so we're, we're more intelligent than we're giving ourselves credit for in relationship. We think like, if I just fade out or you know, if I just like, don't mention it, then everything could just, we'll just keep going on our merry way or, or whatever, but it's, it's already occurring, right? Because you're not picking up your phone. So then their, their feelings are already being hurt and they right. don't have as much information. And so right. right, boundaries are just, they're uncomfortable to set because we haven't exactly been raised to feel our feelings. And so 
we don't want to reject other people because we don't like the way it feels to be rejected. But boundaries are actually a way to deepen into intimacy. It's a way of saying, here I am. Do you agree to be in relationship with me or not? Do you accept? Do you not accept? Are you going to opt in or opt out? You know, it's being really honest about who we actually are. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, boundaries are a really strong sense of self. They let people know who we are in the world. And so, you know, for a lot of people who struggle with people pleasing or, or like have this like adverse, you know, experience around like expressing what they need, they get lost. We, we don't know who they are. Right. Like we lose this sense of like, who are you? Like, you, you know, I know people who are a yes to everything. And when they're a yes to everything, I'm like, I've lost you. I don't know who you are because I don't have a clear sense of, of where you end and I begin. Mm. That's really interesting to me on the level of um, I, like I'm in a class. I started in school in September and I'm in a class of 35 people and every day we have to switch partners and work with someone new. And I feel like the people that it takes the least amount of energy to just be myself with are the people who I who seem very comfortable with just expressing themselves. And maybe this isn't a boundary thing, but there's definitely some people that I've been partnered with that maybe are a little shyer and it's more like, well, you know, I don't really mind. What do you want to do? And that is really exhausting to be Mm -hmm. the person who is like, I feel like I need to cover all possible Mm -hmm. things that would make you feel good because you're not actually even telling me what you want from this, from this partner work today. Um, but you said something, you kind of brushed over it and I, and I, and I picked up on it. My ears picked up on, you said, if you're in a healthy enough relationship Mm. and that it just triggered this thought that I think I said in a previous episode that I was feeling like when you're in a relationship, there's a lot of talk about, you know, toxic relationships, um, relationships where, you know, your needs aren't being met. Um, it, is there too much emphasis, do you think on like not settling and like, you know, like go out there and, and find someone who treats you right. And all of those things, because as a chronically one foot out the door, human being in <laughs> like almost all situations and relationships, I feel like a turning point is happening where um where I'm starting to feel that maybe um you know just cuz a moment I'm I'm starting to understand that just cuz a moment is hard doesn't mean the whole relationship is hard or just because yeah. a quality of or a habit or something that someone does is really grates on my nerves doesn't necessarily mean that I it's not the right relationship for me or it's like, there's no room for me in that relationship. Um, and it it seems to me like there's just a lot of messaging about like not settling, but when you said healthy enough, it just kind of reminded me of that train of thought or that way of thinking and that it doesn't have to be completely Mm -hmm. perfect to be a really good relationship and worth a worthwhile relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I, um, 
yeah, I find, I find it really irritating the, you can, you know, you need to like look for the perfect person or there's like, we are all toxic in relationships. Right. Like you were saying, like earlier, Jeremy, like we're, we're all traumatized. Yeah. And that show the longer we're in relationship, the more that is going to show up and the more our activation is going to show up. And, and often we are not the best versions of ourselves when we're activated because we have to remember that our body is primal. Like it's primal and our bodies fight and self-protective responses are not compassionate. There is no empathy there, not on the body level. And we have to remember that when we are in these moments of self-protection, that our body is not coming from a place of compassion. It's coming from a place of, I want to annihilate whatever is making me feel this way. Because your body doesn't register an emotional threat from a tiger literally stalking you through the woods. It doesn't, it's not like, oh, okay, we're actually all good here. Like I, you know, your body's picking up. There is a threat. There is distress here. I need to protect myself. And if the threat keeps coming, which let's be honest, in our in our long-term relationships, there's often more force around, let's just have the conversation no matter what's happening in our body. Let's just have it for three hours. And it's like, nobody's body is pre- prepared for a three-hour intense emotional conversation about like our wounding and whatever rupture occurred. And so then that riles up that, that self-protective response, usually to a place where like, I want to annihilate you. And this is where we'll, we'll rupture into those like, Maybe I'll, you know, throw a pillow or I'll be like, oh, I can't stand you. Or, you know, something more primal mm. expresses itself. And then where the compassion and empathy step in, that's that's something we have developed over time. But we have not always had access to that. And animals in the wild do not have access to that. If, a, you know, a mother bear's baby, like cubs are, are going to be attacked, she's not going to like stop and be like, oh, you know what? This is like another living being. Like, I really want to be compassionate. She's going to go into self-protective response and she's Mm going to annihilate whatever threat is, is, uh, you know, attacking her young. And then she's going to walk away and not feeling a damn thing about it. Not Mm -hmm. a damn thing. Like I'm all good. My cubs are good. Let's just move on with life. I just killed something. I don't care. But we don't get to like bludgeon the the threat, our threats anymore. We don't get to actually like complete that annihilation response in our body where we want to like really, you know, harm whoever is hurting us, whether it's somebody who loves us. So we really collapse these like, you know, primal responses in our body onto our personality. So we'll be like, this person is toxic or, or that's an angry person. I remember my client the other day, she's like, I'm just not an angry person. I'm like, anger is a self-protective response. It's, it's the way that our body protects us. That is physiology. That's not your personality. That's physiology. But people collapse their physiology onto their personality. I'm like, those aren't the same thing. And so, you know, we have to like separate or somebody will be like, I just like, can't speak up for myself or, you know, I'm just really, you know, I really freeze in those moments and something's wrong with me. I'm like, no, that's just like, that's how your body protects you. That's, that is the most toned part of your nervous system. It goes into this collapse state. That's not your personality. Mm. That's your physiology. And it's helpful to separate those. And like in relationship, we're, we're all toxic. Like none of us is perfect. I've not ever met a person who has not caused harm in their relationship. Even my relationship with my partner we've been together with for almost 10 years. Like, oh my gosh, the beginning of that relationship was like so toxic. (laughs) And that doesn't mean, so there's like so much nuance in it, right? So this isn't saying there's a difference between abuse and things that we're like, we're just not, we have not sorted ourselves out. We don't Mm -hmm. owe being sorted out 
going into relationships. We don't have to have ourselves all figured out to be in relationship. That's where we figure ourselves out in relationship. Okay. How about this? And this might be a little bit of a gear shift, but something you said in there just made me think about this. So speaking personally about myself in relationships, I seem, there was something about that, that mama bear analogy that you use that made me think about this, where it's like the bear goes and like annihilates whatever is causing potential harm. And then when it's done, it's like the bear walks away and is like, okay, there we go. And I'm not going to think about it again. And that's it. Um, (laughs) And everything is fine. Uh, It made me think about how I show up in relationships and how I show up in conflict in relationships. And I think I could be wrong here, but, but I do feel like I have quite an ability to be in the midst of a, a fight or an argument or tension within the relationship. You know, so say Bridie and I get into this like big blowout over something. Money. Yeah, sure. Money. We were going to fight about <laughs> money. That's never happened before. And, and we, we have this like, we lash out and we're in the, we're in the thick, we're like in the shit. We are in the, the heat of the moment. It's really intense. I have this ability to in moments like that to 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 go okay i can see that both of us are in a, like a, a you know a heightened aroused state right now um i am going to for the better of the, like the for the greater good i am going to stop this feeling of like of high arousal high intensity and I'm just going to come down. I'm going to come down because it's not worth the, it's not worth the, the fight. It's not worth what, what's coming. And, and truly, I can just let it go. I can go, okay, this is, this is it. It's, it's like, I, we don't have to fight about the money anymore. Okay. <laughs> now, what I've, noticed, what I've noticed is that sometimes there, I, I've had partners where they have not so easy of a time letting go of whatever's whatever's in front of us and 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 not even like that not like let's even change the scenario a little bit the fight has happened there's been resolve yes there's still a bit of tension but like we both came to some sort of resolve and it's like i have some sort of short-term memory where the next day i'm like let that like everything's just fine and fucking dandy and i'm happy and but oh wait i'm sensing my partner is still hot is still in a state of like of discomfort yet i yet i have this feeling where i'm like but i'm fucking i'm good it's I'm good free. i'm free we don't have to do this anymore and so so there's like there's a disconnect there where where i i have found that i've run into this disconnect that seems to cause just as much as a problem which is that i have let things go and i am cool as a cucumber but my partner isn't. And that then becomes its own issue where it's like, what the fuck? Like, you know, to, towards me, I, I sometimes get like, I, what do you like? I don't have this ability that you have to just let things go like this. So what do you, what, what would you, what kind of advice would you offer a person or a couple that find themselves in that kind of scenario where, Things can get really high and really heated. 
And one person has the ability to go, okay, all right, everything is all good. Yet the other person is like worked up to the point where it's like, well, it's not all good. It's like still living it's still there. in my body. Yeah. And like, and, and which, yeah. which, uh, which I, I just want to, I want to clarify. I don't see that as a problem. I totally understand that yeah. my partner doesn't have that ability. However, that seems to create an issue. And so I'm wondering, what is the best way to go about that when one person has this ability to let it go, but the other person can't quite mm-hmm. ungrasp the, the issue? Yeah. So <laughs> very common. Okay. okay. Thank <laughs> and, God. and also like super irritating for the person who still has a lot of charge in their body, right? Totally. So it's it's so, it like seems become, so annoying for them. I, I get so it. It's so annoying. Yeah. And, and yeah. annoyance, annoyance is irritation, is frustration, <laughs> is fight response, right? Like right. I am not done fighting because yeah. I have not annihilated the threat. Yes. And so for people, because I'm also similar, like I can have, I can just like settle. Like I'm like, okay, we're like, we've got a lot of energy happening here. I'm actually good. Like I just want to cuddle now. Can we hang out? And and the reason for that is because I'm 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 very skilled, partly because of practice and partly just because that is my natural way of being in the world of finding safety in my environment. So I can see like, you're actually not the threat. I can have like a look around me. I can sense into my body. I can see like, okay, you know, to me, conflict is actually, um, it, it, conflict feels safe to me. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like I'm going to lose like the people in my life if we're in conflict generally, not always. So there is this like, okay, conflict is okay. I can lean towards conflict. So I think in those moments, especially if you're the person who has more capacity, is you can practice practice something that is very body-based. I think we talked about this last time, that 80% of your neural pathways go from your body up, which means we want to do a big chunk of our processing, our distress, on the body level, not just cognitively talking it through. So you want to invite the body into the process. <laughs> and like some of the ways that we can do that is like, okay, if your partner still has a lot of like fight energy and they want to annihilate you, then like wrestle. Or you can do different games where you're sort of like, you know, pushing your hands. People can't see me, but putting your hands together. I might've mentioned this last time. I can't remember, but putting your hands together and like creating this, like, you know, friction and sort of competition between like who can get the other person past this imaginary line. Right. Or sitting with your partner and both like grabbing like a pillow or a scarf and like squeezing it, like giving your body a place to put that energy that isn't into your partner. Well, also like, saying, how do we know that we're actually safe right now? What tells us that like we're in conflict, that doesn't feel great, but what lets us know in our environment and in the other person that we're actually safe? Because you know, when you're in conflict, it's like you stop looking at each other. Mm. It'll go from that heightened fight place where you're just like glaring them down. And there's just like all the energy is so focused in. And that's that, that's that really good, like fight response, right? Where you actually lose the ability to notice the periphery. Because that that adrenaline is to come online to so that you can focus in on your either your prey or the threat, right? We need to bring that energy online in that way. So if we start noticing the periphery, then we're starting to settle the body a bit more. Okay, can I actually like break focus and just have like a soft look around my space? And then can I notice the lines in your face? Can I notice the way that your hair is sitting? Can I notice the way that your chest is moving as it breathes? So being able to slow down what you're noticing in the other, other body. Mm. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I like the idea of wrestling. I think that would be yeah. really uh, effective and fun. <laughs> it would yeah. be fun. <laughs> I, lo- I love that too because <clears throat> often annihilation comes the only outlet is hurtful words and that's what it ends up. And you can't take those things back. back. You can't unhear those things once you've heard them. And even when you don't want like, Oh my God, the the amount of times where you don't want to do that, you don't want to resort to that. But then all of a sudden you say the fuck, the fucking thing comes out of your mouth and you go, Mm -hmm. shit, I I knew I shouldn't have said that. But then it like bubbles up. eh? And then you're like, why am I even thinking that? Is this, (laughs) do I actually hate this person? No, but yeah, that, that's always what ends up happening. Um, it, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what else to do except if, if I, if I say, so my tactic has always been like, I can't talk about this right now. Um, like I'm getting, I'm losing the ability to stay grounded and you know, whether it was because it was modeled to me by a parent, I mean, probably walking, like if I can walk, if I can discharge the energy through a long, like sometimes I'll just say, like, I'll be walking and I'll just be like, I'm just going to walk until I don't hate them anymore. Cause I can (laughs) actually like feel it leave my body. Mm. Um, but that in itself is an action that doesn't go over very well necessarily with the person I'm in conflict with because it doesn't feel safe. It feels like an abandonment probably unless I can, can communicate and have that boundary received that like, I can't continue this conversation without like just losing the ability to, to control my impulse to, to annihilate you. Mm. Um, and, but now now I feel conflicted about whether I have the right to walk away and take that space. And <laughs> even though I know that it, it's, it's, it will, it will reduce the possibility of me saying something yeah. that I can't take back um, or he, or most of the time digging ourselves spiraling into a hole where yeah. we're not, we're not even fucking talking about the thing anymore. No. <laughs> um, but that's a really hard thing. I've really had a hard time in my partnerships communicating why that's important to me to be able to, to walk away um, or to be able to say right now is not a good time because inevitably my partner will say, it's never a good time. Mm. You never want to talk about the hard stuff because that is also true. <laughs> that is also true, you know, right, but, right. but that being said, I'm, I am getting a lot better at, at mm. you know, cooling down and coming and coming back. Um, mm. it's just, it's just that I'm sure that's also common for, for people. Like that seems like a very common response to, to mm. say like, you know, I know I can discharge my energy if I, if, if I just walk away for a minute. I know I'm walking yeah. away for the betterment of uh, of the us long term, you know. Yeah, you hated that. You hate that. Oh, I fucking hate that. Yeah, yeah, I hate oh, it. Oh, most people hate it because you want to have the fight. Your body <laughs> wants to. So there's there's again coming back to the physiology and not collapsing it with personality. The going for like the long, like probably very like you know energized walk is your flight response. Mm. So you're in flight and they're in fight. I don't want you to go because I'm not done fighting you yet. <laughs> I'm not done. I want, I need, I haven't had the settling in my body because now you're leaving. And now mm-hmm. my body's going to stay unsettled because now I, like you said, I feel 
like you're, you're leaving me, right. You're leaving me, which is like, always feels like a mini death in our body when that abandonment stuff comes online. And so space, I'm like a huge fan of space in, in, in conflict because we want to slow down our conflict because there's this like volcano erupting and we want to like contain some of that. So we don't want to take rage and anger and frustration. We don't want to take those things out of our relationship. We want to, the goal is to experience them in contained ways where we can do these different like playful conflict exercises that help us, you know, use that energy efficiently or effectively instead of like making things worse, like you said. And that like saying things that are just so awful in our relationships, we've all done that. I think everybody's done that. And it makes a lot of sense because you're, it's like coming up and we we're not letting it express in the physical. And so it comes out in that cognitive verbal, you know, intellectual way where we're just like, this is what I hate about you. And it feels like there's this slight relief in saying it. And then there's the guilt, but if we can do other things before that occurs. So I think even like letting your partners know what's best for me is to take 20 minutes of space. And then letting people know, I want to come back and talk about this at X time. Mm. Like I need a day, I need an hour, I need 10 minutes, like something like I'd like to enact the pause. You know, I think like always having that on, on, on the table to be able to pause conflict, because when you're getting to that really big place, nothing good is happening. Mm. Nothing good's happening. You're just two animals wanting to murder each other. (laughs) Like that's it. You're just, you're in self-protection and you can't see the humanity in the other person. That part of us just disappears in those moments. And so that is not where we want to have our, our fights from, unless we have enough practice with playful conflict and we're willing to, you know, play these different exercises to help utilize that energy in a you know productive way. Or even doing things that are really like collaborative that help you move into attunement. So if you're like, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to have this fight, like let's get a ball and we pass it back and forth as we're fighting. Mm. because that keeps your body in, in alignment because often what happens in conflict is one person's over here and the other person's over there. There's like this massive space between you. Your bodies are not in alignment anymore. They're just concerned with survival physiology, right? It's like just that. So if we can keep the bodies in attunement, then we're less likely to go to that, like, you know, bubbling over place because where our attention is also focused on it, in involving the body in the process. Mm. I, I suppose these exercises kind of fall into that similar discussion we had about boundaries, right? Like, yeah, these are good boundaries to be setting in relationship when conflict is inevitably, inevitably, inevitably going to arise. Mm-hmm. So coming together and like setting that boundary of, okay, if we're going to fight in the future, let's make sure that we have a Some basketball. Props. Yeah, yeah, some props <laughs> yeah. to like fi- to figure this out. Um, yeah, I love that. I, I, th- I, cat. I love talking to you. It's a, it just, it's really, it's just, it, it's just the best. Um, I know that uh, as of the release of this episode, you have a, you have a workshop uh, coming up on uh, this coming Monday. Uh, rewilding pleasure. Um, do you want to give us a little rundown on what that workshop is and and who might be interested in in taking part in that? Yes. Okay. So Rewilding Pleasure is my like flagship course. I've been doing that. I think this is like the 17th or 18th time that I've run some iteration of this workshop. 
So the workshop is for women or non-binary folks who identify with like the experience of women. And so um, it is six weeks long, uh, once a week for six weeks, three hour classes. And the focus is on uh, creating safety to experience more pleasure in your body. So the course is for people who have obligated obligation sex, who endure sex, who have lost access to pleasure in their bodies, who um, struggle to communicate boundaries, who um, you know don't often ask for what they need or what they want. So this or or have like a really uh, disconjointed or 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 yeah like an abandonment relationship with their own selves. Like they'll 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 leave themselves to choose other people most of the time for whatever mm. reason. Um, so the course is really about supporting them and coming back into their own body and feeling safe to feel good and to feel pleasure, to feel like the rightness of pleasure and to be able to gain um, more safety in their bodies. Mm. That sounds, yeah. I, I, there's, I, I know, I know some people that could <laughs> very much benefit from that. What is the start date of that? That's uh, that is Monday, November fifteenth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then some of the playful conflict stuff that we were just talking about, I I teach all that in the couples course that I'm running in. I think it starts in January. No, I can't remember, but it starts in the new year. February. It's called February. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, I got you. I got you. <laughs> so that course is 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 you know there's a big focus on teaching playful con conflict and bringing. Um, really good polarity into the relationship so you can bring back the sexual charge that often leaves the longer we're in relationship. Yeah. Um, so and that, that begins February, that begins on Valentine's Day, February 14th. Oh. Rise together, couple, couples intensive. You do, ha you do have one that, that is happening in, uh, in January too, though, which is Embody the Wild, uh, which oh, is January yeah. 5th, which is my birthday. So... If nice. anyone, if anyone is looking to uh, celebrate Jeremy's celebrate birthday, my birthday, you by can celebrate care of themselves. By, by embodying <laughs> the wild. Um, I have a question for you just quickly before we sign off. Playful conflict. Do you feel like folks or even any of your work, do you feel like folks need to have a certain level of experience in, you know, or couples in therapy or anywhere to like start out with like with playful conflict? Um, or a do you mean to like take do you mean to like take the workshop or just in their own life? Yeah, like no, to in, take your, to take these workshops yeah. that you're talking about, like, should people already have some groundwork done in, in the no. conflict that they have in their relationships? Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's even better that they don't come in with, yeah, it's, you know, because it's, it's a different approach, right? We're working with the body and most people don't, don't have <laughs> practice with playful conflict. Like I don't know very many people who do that. Um, so definitely, no, you don't have to know anything. Uh, the, the, all the courses always start with some, some like uh, psychoeducation around what happens in our nervous system, like all the basics so that they understand what it is that we're exploring as we get into it. Cool. Well, Kat, I got to say, it's always a pleasure to sit down and chat with you and uh, really appreciate you taking time out of your day today to hang out with us. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks again for having me again. Hello, everyone. Hello, my loves. Uh, <clears throat> so wonderful to have Kat 
back on the podcast. I know. It makes it makes when we get to speak with awesome guests and then they want to come back on the show, that makes my heart really happy. I don't know if we said this on air before, but do you remember when we first talked to her? I had a full on mm-hmm. like emotional breakdown. We cut it out of the episode. Yeah, I was listening to that episode. I went back and listened to it a couple Did of I days say ago. That after No, no, you didn't acknowledge it. I oh, no? couldn't find where you took it out from either. Oh, I, sli- I very sneakily slipped it Because it was yeah. earlier on. And anyway, yeah. I, I remember I remember that, but I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint the the moment. No, no, but I I felt I got also really emotional at the end of that conversation. Yeah. We got into talking about um how trauma lives in the body and, yeah. and I didn't realize that on that day that we were recording um that initial episode with Kat was was like the exact anniversary of my sister's passing. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So uh we talked a little bit about that and I can hear it in my voice while right, I'm talking about right. it. But yeah, man, we've covered a lot of ground with Kat. Yeah, she's um I mean, she's one of those people whenever we talk to her, like I just I get out of the call and I'm like, oh man, I'd really like to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm never in town. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. I went to a, a birthday gathering that the evening after the conversation everyone just heard. Yeah. And um, just like hold the eye roll for one minute. But it was a birthday and we it was a really unique birthday gathering and I really appreciated it. It was exactly what I needed. But it kind of started out with some acknowledgement that it had just been a new moon and it was a new moon in Scorpio. Yeah. And I and I was like, this is all like, I don't really know what this means. I know what right. a new moon is. Um, I know what Scorpio is, but I don't know what it means to like why there's any significance between it being a new moon in Scorpio. Well, let me Do tell you? you, it's I mean, it is just it's wild out there. Right now. <laughs> well, I, I bet- won't get into it because I don't want to bore you. But <laughs> I bet when, a lot of Scorpios our- in, in a new moon. Watch your back. <laughs> well, watch your emotions as it turns out. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know exactly what it means, but I had been, I don't know if you remember this. So, so we recorded this conversation on a Friday. I went to this birthday party on a Friday, but since the Monday of that week, I had just been spontaneously bursting into tears all week. Right. And, you know, I have, Sure, there's a ton of shit going on that is worth crying about, but you know, it was like the getting to the point of of like I I just sit in like class comical, almost. comical like yeah. just like especially sitting in class with a mask on with like tears like pouring down your face and just really not wanting to talk to anybody about it. So anyway, I get to this party and um, the woman whose birthday it was uh, kind of op- opened it by saying, you know, this is, these are the, I don't know how everyone else is feeling, but I've been feeling a lot of grief this week, Mm. a lot of letting go, a lot of grieving my identity. And this is stuff that you and I have been talking about as well. Yeah. And, uh, and then it just opened basically like a circle of share, uh, like a sharing circle. What an interesting birthday gathering. Uh Uh-huh. We did uh, it was a ton of sharing. It was all women, um, women identifying folks. And we went deep. Yeah. Wow. And it was really, um, it was really, uh, it felt really 
I felt so much lighter when I left. Do you think your conversation with Kat kind of prepped you for that? Well, I talked a lot about Kat in the conversation oh, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And one of the other uh, women there is an, also an acquaintance of Kat um, as well. And uh, so it was relevant. People were talking. So I've already talked up this week's episode to like that whole crowd of people. Oh, yes. And then yeah. on, on then, then, you know, the weekend passed and I listened to our last conversation with Kat. And so it was a really cat heavy week. Yeah. But I like living there. I yeah. like that space a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah. If I mean, if I was ever going to like seek out um, counsel for somatic based sex coaching, I think cats who I'd, for, I'd go to first. I think, I <clears throat> think there's going to be some of that in my formal training yeah? down the road. Oh yeah. Cool. I think so. I think you'd be so great at that. I just, it resonates so much <laughs> that just as a, as a, <laughs> as Sorry. a young human all the way through now, I've, I think I've been a chronic overthinker yeah. about my emotions and I, I feel like I need to go to a therapist right now, but I don't want to do the whole, here's my story, you know, here's the story of the last 37 years that yeah. of, of the planet with me. And, um, and so I like the idea of just letting my body do the talking. Right. Um, but, but the, the end of our first conversation with Kat, we were talking about the shame that can come with, with emotion. Like when, when someone sees you really vulnerable and emotional and, uh, and I thought about that a lot after this birthday party because, you were I was feeling a, shame after? I, I was just, we well, we acknowledged it in the circle, like as I was speaking and I was one of the, I was the first person to speak about what I was kind of feeling and, you know, the tears are flowing and I'm like, this is a story I'm playing in my head is, <clears throat> as myself as a little kid and all the messages I would get about how crying was not a good way to communicate mm. and how, um, I felt like everyone's going to think I just need to be the center of attention. And Oh my right. God, I'm so intense. I'm the one who took it here to this level and everyone's going to be bummed that they came to this party and now it's a cry fest, like all of those feelings. But it wasn't, it wasn't just, it, so I, I, you know, wrapped up as quickly as I could diffused it all with a joke to make everybody like sort of laugh and divert attention away from my emotion. Yeah. And then the next woman who spoke, um, is a really incredible, uh, yoga teacher here in the city who I really respect and look up to. And she started sharing and she said, you know, I almost didn't come here because I knew that in this group of people, I was going, I was going to be compelled to be honest with Holy where I'm fuck, at. Dude. And so, but also, she acknowledged like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to curl up in shame. And I was like, I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Like it's that full bodied, like, Oh God, like, yeah. cringe moment. But I didn't feel that. And I think it's because we acknowledged it right off the top. That's good. I mean, I think that's something to kind of keep in mind when it comes to, um, like communicating with your partner. I mean, this is something we were talking about last night in the live show that we did for November for sick boy, but like creating a container for a conversation, but also like, I feel like I feel that shame when I have 
kind of tough conversations or get vulnerable with my intimate relationships, my intimate partnerships sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I've actually never known what that feeling was until you just said shame. And I was like, oh, fuck. Wow. Yeah, right. That's that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. um, Like if you show like shed tears. Yeah. Or like. Like for me, for me, oftentimes when in in moments like that. It, it usually comes out less less so in tears. Sometimes it does. But it usually comes out in frustration, mm. almost like a, a aggression. Not anger, not quite anger, but like like an like a frustrated aggression because I'm maybe perhaps like dancing around the tears. And then yeah. that's where the shame comes from. But anyway, my point was like in conversations with intimate partners, like laying that out as an as like a foundation first mm-hmm. just in order to to kind of get through that transition to get through that ex- experience acknowledging the the feelings that usually come after opening up in in such a vulnerable way mm-hmm. anyway yeah interesting it, That's- it's almost like a recoiling from like expansive 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 yeah. and then you just like recoil and contract mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought I, I tuned into the live show, uh, sick boy live show last night. And, um, I was wondering what your thoughts were. About- what are your thoughts on my mustache? Look at this thing. It's great. I mean, I mean, folks, if you want to see this mustache, it's nine days in, you can go to patreon.com slash turn me on where you can see it right here. Yep. Just a little smattering of hair. Yep. If you support us financially in any way, you too can get cast your gaze mm. on this magnificent stash. I actually think you do really good job with your facial hair. Yeah. yeah. Like mustache, you mean like yeah. it works? Yeah. Your mustache, even when you, when you have beard, like I think you just do a really good job. Oh yeah. hundred percent. My, when I have facial hair, it's great. Oh, it mean, feels I, weird when I shave and having just a mustache is a little bit, is a little bit foreign. Not that foreign though. You uh, do it every now and here, then. No, no, no. But being like completely bald here, I never do it. Right. That's, it's, you know what? You want to talk about vulnerability. Jesus Christ. What's so vulnerable Shaving. about your chin? I don't know. I don't like it. You know, I got this like, um, kind of hard to see, but I got this like double chin, like right under my chin right here. Everybody has that. It you drops know. down. Everybody has that. Look at me. Not everyone. <laughs> Some people Leonardo have Leonardo DiCaprio does not have it, nor does Brad Pitt. I'll tell you who fucking doesn't They've have it. They've had work Timothy Chamelay. He's like he does 15. Not have it. He's a 15 year old boy. I don't think he'll ever have it. Have you seen his face? <laughs> uh, I the, I don't know lines. if I know exactly who that is, but uh, oh my god, Conan O'Brien was talking about him all over his last show. So I assume he's a big deal. He's in Dune. Yeah, is he? The, yeah. He's the young. He's Paul Atreides in Dune. What, oh, was he also in Call Me by Your Name? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That kid. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I got this. Like, <laughs> I, I don't like. I don't like the, under my chin. I like. If it. I ever was gonna get work done, it would be there. If I was ever going to get work done, do you know where it is? I've told you this a hundred times. Um, it's not my boobs. Your, I don't, I don't know. It's uh, my eyelids. Oh, your eyelids. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. I have, um, what do they call that again? Hooded eyelids, um, which is not a big deal. But I'm so, when I look at my mom, I'm like, someday they're going to be, hang- they're going to be obscuring my view. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought maybe I'll just get, but I would not look don't. like me. Your moms don't. Well, they ha- they sit on her eyelashes. Do they? 
Yeah, her eyelashes kind of hold you th- them up. I guess you would look quite different if you... I would look really different if I if you could Can see you my get whole that eyelid. Fixed? Well, yeah, you could just have it. It's just extra. You could just cut it away. I'm pretty sure. And can you imagine, dude? Can you imagine if that was our? I know that I look. There's probably people out there listening to this that get that stuff done. And totally, I'm. There's no judgment whatsoever. I have no. I have no qualms with people getting work done. But I just can't imagine. I can't imagine having an elective surgery to make slight alterations yeah. to my face. I, I, under, I understand like large alterations, you know, like if you were, if you were someone who was born and you just had this like huge fucking nose and you had it your whole life and you were just tired of this massive honking. It was obscuring schnoz. your view. Yeah. Like I get it. But like small little things, like yeah. uh, I'm always like, wow, that is what a, what a wild what a wild thought. Because you can never actually anticipate what it's going to look like. No. I feel that way every time I go get my fucking haircut. I'm like, ugh. That's why I think when people get their when people get their tits done, I'm always like there's gotta be a there's gotta be a fear of like, man, what if they what if they don't fuck these up? I don't know what the latest news on that is, but uh a few months ago, we may have even mentioned this on the show, but a few months ago a local Halifax woman like posted on her social media. God, you got, I got to find this woman. Can, yeah. you, can you find that and yeah. send it to me? Yeah, I'll see if I can track it down. She 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 made it was like shared on Facebook. Yes, right. I'm still on Facebook. But um, you know, her message was like, I don't usually I'm a pretty private person, but I feel like everyone needs to know that, you know, 7 years after I had breast implants, I was having all these health problems for like a handful of years that were were going complete like Nobody could diagnose. Yeah. And then she got her implants taken out. And, and that was it. And that was it. Fuck, they were poisoning so her. Crazy. I yeah. got to find this woman. And I guess it's like they have a shelf life. They do. Right. They're not forever. Right. But I don't know. Maybe there's new. Maybe there's better ways of doing it that don't poison you. But yeah, maybe. Um, Yeah. I I just can't imagine dropping the money on a. That's the other thing on, that I think about. Yeah. Yeah. Although you have a million tattoos, which you drop tons and tons of money. That's, this is true. And yeah. that is a body modification as it well. It is, yeah. All right. Yeah, and I've had, I've had lots of piercings. Same, same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so crazy. It's funny to think I used to have way more piercings. I don't have any piercings now. I used to have my nose and both my nipples. You have both your nipples pierced. Yeah. Yeah, right. Same. But they kept getting caught on shit. Yeah. Yeah, that I caught mine on the sh- on a shower door once, like a gla- those cl- those glass shower doors. Whoo, Nelly, not yeah. fun. No, I do miss them though. Sometimes I know I miss them too. Yeah, they look cool. They kind of felt like. I mean, I would always be playing with my nose ring, which is weird. But like, I'd catch myself doing the same thing with my nipple ring, which yeah. you just shouldn't probably do in public. I think that if I, do you ever do you ever think about like if you were if you were like twenty years younger but you had you had retained all of the wisdom and knowledge that you currently have so like if you if you were like you go back I'm fifteen 17. years okay let's say let's say fifteen okay fifteen years so if I went back fifteen years I'd be eighteen I'd be twenty five yeah wow. Um, and We're not that far apart in age, and, uh, and so I'd be eighteen, uh, coming up on nineteen. And, but I'd but but I still retained all of the knowledge that I have now. Yeah. Do you think that you would? 
Do you ever do you ever have do you ever like play around with this thought? Sometimes I'll be laying in bed and I'll think, what would I do? Like, what would I be doing in the world if I was eighteen, but I knew everything I knew now? Like, okay. How, how how would I go about my eighteen year old life socially? You know, thinking about my future, like all the things. I think if I went back to eighteen right now, um, with everything that I have in my head now, I probably would have got my I probably would have got my dick pierced. Oh, interesting. I would have got the underside of my head, my frenulum pierced. I won't do it now because I feel like I'm just, I'm a little too old for it. And I don't really have the interest in going down that road. But at 18, I, I probably would have been like, fuck it, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll put it in, keep it around for, Yep. you know, whatever, a couple of years. Yeah. I, I, I don't know because, I mean, the question you asked is what would you, you probably... Like, what would you do if you had the information that you have now? And I don't know. I don't think I would have gotten anything else pierced or tattooed. But maybe I would. Do you think you would have been a little bit more of a floozy, you know, a little bit more like promiscuous, a little more risk-taking? Yeah, I would have recognized that the relationship I was in, uh, that I was hurting this person by the way that I was behaving, I probably, I, I would have tried to have the difficult conversation of like, I really love you, but I need to explore yeah. other people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would have, yeah, I would have done that. Um, I think about that all the time. And then another thing that I think about a lot, um, I'll give you a really like specific example. I had this thought the other day and I have this type of thought all the fucking time. I was in bed. It was like early morning. And it was one of those nights in the condo where like it was pretty stuffy, like hot. Okay. Um, and so like I was kind of like outside of the sheets. And Leah was laying next to me. Also like totally outside of the sheets. But she was totally past out sleeping. And her back was to me. I couldn't see her face. But she has this really beautiful like long blonde hair. And she's, she's very, she's a very attractive woman. And I roll over and I'm, I was just like, just, you know, admiring the beauty of her, her body and her hair. And I had this thought where I was like, how, like, what would run through my mind if one, if one day I was, I was 18, again, I was 18. And there's like this sort of almost, like Freaky Friday-esque science fiction movie scenario where I wake up at 33. I have zero recollection of what has happened between 18 and 33, and I roll over in this unfamiliar but really, like, cool condo with a bunch of stuff that, like, that is mine. I don't know it's mine, but... It's obviously cool because I really like everything that's in there. Mm-hmm. And there's this like beautiful, gorgeous woman laying next to me. What would like what? How would I handle myself in that situation if Leah then rolls over and goes, good morning, babe. And I have no idea who she is. I have no idea where I am. Mm-hmm. Would I be like, would I immediately panic or would I go? Would I? would I see this through for a, a few days to be like, to, to try to get my bearings? 
Don't you think like two seconds in, she'd be like, why are you acting so weird? Well, I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But like. <laughs> why, in, why can't you stop giggling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boobies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I always, I always think about it. I, I think I, there's, there's, I think there's like a, a story or a movie in my head. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see that movie. Yeah. Um, That's really interesting. Someone wakes up and they're like, they've, they've, they've made it this far in their life, but they have no recollection of how they got there. And they've, you know, they're successful and. Everything's going well in their life. But there would ha- you like would you would you be like, what the f like <laughs> what kind of answers would you want in that moment? Yeah, I can't I I have t- many more questions that I need to have answered before I can even start imagining that. Like So the I, and also when I do that, mm-hmm. it's I think what what's happening in my head is that there is a it's almost like this weird fucked up exercise in gra- gratitude. Yeah. Because it's me, it's me going, what if I didn't know all the things I had? And then all of a sudden I was just plopped in a situation where I had all these things. How stoked would I be about life? Yeah. How happy would I be if all of a sudden I was just in this new life, this new place that, I, that was unfamiliar yet safe and almost perfect, you mm-hmm. know? I think about that all the time. That's pretty cool. Isn't that interesting? That's really neat that you think about that. Yeah. I don't, I don't play those kind of games, but uh, I think of myself much more as an older person, like a, what it will be like to look back at my life. I definitely don't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least I haven't. Yeah. <sighs> probably start have to, probably got to start thinking about that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, wasn't expecting to go there. Was, no. Yeah. No. No. Me neither. I. Uh, you know what I will say though. Just just before it slips in my mind, I can't remember what I was watching. I was watching something the other day, and uh, it low key just sort of made a comment about like it was kids talking about you know maybe their grandmother or someone's grandmother, someone being sexually active in like their seventies. And it was like a ew gross moment. And I, and I clocked it as ageism, which is not an ism that I notice very often when I'm watching media, like when I'm watching movies. This was in a show. Yeah. It was like in a show or in a movie or something. And like when you watch stuff that's sort of dated, you can see all kinds of isms that are problems now that we know better hopefully but that 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 type of ageism is uh, that noticing of ageism when it comes to sexuality Mm. has all of a sudden is starting to like drift into focus right because you're getting older because i'm almost 40 yeah (laughs) i'm almost 38 um and and I think we talked about this. Like when you were a kid and your your parents were 38 and 40. Well, actually, it doesn't really count for you as much for me because your parents are so much older than my parents. But like. My parents are so much older than your parents. Oh, it's astounding. How old is your mom? Like in her, I don't, I don't know, like 50. Oh, no, no. She is just she turned 60? 60, right? Okay. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, my mom's like a good dozen years older than. Yeah. Me, but like when my not, parents not were 38, I was like, man, these people are old as fuck. I think my mom's not even 70 yet. Or no, she just turned 70. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I never, ever thought about my parents having sex, even though 
they had a bunch of kids, but I just did not think of it as a thing. But I do in the last, in the first conversation we had with Kat, which I just revisited. um, I was saying like, I got to get this shit on track. Like I got to get my intimate life and relationships like on track because I don't want to be trying to figure this out when I'm, when my hormones are crashing and I'm going into. But that's the thing is where there, who, who the fuck ever has it figured out? I don't no one know. ever has it figured out. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I just feel my parents sometimes. thought they had it figured out and then all of a sudden it, they didn't. Yeah. You know, you never have it figured out. Yeah, I guess so. I guess maybe that's my biggest, um, that causes maybe maybe the biggest anxiety is like, cause I always imagine that there's going to be a point in the future where I have all the knowledge that I need to live a happy yeah. and you'll peaceful have that, life. You'll have that when you're taking your last breaths. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I, 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 <coughs> I do think about that a lot. I think yeah. about what I want to be feeling, how I want to be in my mind yeah. at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, probably more than, more than the average person. I think. Uh, uh, I would just the tips before we wrap. Oh, here. fantastic! I uh, so at the beginning of the of the spookiest month of the year, I started um, going through and watch. I was you know challenging myself to watch thirty one horror movies in thirty one days, and uh, the beginning of it, I watched. I I just. I was in the middle of it. So I just continued for like the, the first two days of October watching midnight mass. Did you start that yet? I watched the whole thing. How good. It's really good. There's some great characters. Oh in that. God. How good is Bev? Yeah. Unbelievable. What a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> she is. Um, uh, and, and Monsignor, like they're just, it's such a good show. It's so fucking good. It's good. Anyway, Mike Flanagan, the, the show creator, he's done a bunch of stuff. And it's all in the, it's really, it's all in the horror genre. Um, uh, he's done a, a number of feature films. He had Gerald's Game, which is like a Stephen King novel. Oh, yeah. Um, he did, uh, he did this movie called Ouija, um, The Origin of Evil, which is so good for the first two thirds of the movie. And then the final third, I think just kind of like shit the bed. Anyway, before he did Midnight Mass, he did two other series. Netflix series. One was the haunting of Hill house. Oh yeah. And the other one's the haunting of Bly Manor. Now I had watched the haunting of Hill house when it came out, which was like maybe four years ago, three years ago. Okay. Um, but I never finished it and I didn't finish it because there were things about the show that irked me that I did. I was like, I, I, I made up these reasons where I went, I don't, I don't like the show. I don't like the show because I don't like, the contact lenses that they decided to put in that character's face. And it's very obvious uh-huh. and stupid. And there was a couple of like acting things where I was like, why are they acting like they're on stage when they're on film? Mm. And I didn't like it. And that is very much in line with a lot of what Mike Flanagan does. Like for some reason, the actors that he uses, they're very theatrical. Right. There's some actors in Midnight, Midnight Mass is like the most grounded of all the shows he's done. But um, but there is a lot of that even in Midnight Mass. <clears throat> and you even get that with like the long monologues in Midnight Mass. It's like it, it should have been like monologue mass. Like that's what the show <laughs> should have been called. Yeah. 
So I was so Leah really liked Midnight Mass, and she was like, "Let's watch another one of his shows." And I was like, "All right, well, we can watch Haunting of Hill House, but I don't know if you'll like it." And and I thought when I said that because it was three years ago, I thought I had watched it all. So we start re I start re watching it like last week, and ten episodes. I'm I'm like eight eight episodes in a couple of days ago, and I'm going, "Oh wait, I didn't finish this." And at this point now, I've I've like forgiven all the shit that I didn't like about it. Okay. Because I I kind of understood a little bit more about what Mike Flanagan does. Okay. And um so I was like, I had this whole new appreciation for the show. And I was like, wow, this is actually I really, really enjoy this the second time around. And got to the final episode last night, finished the final episode, which I had not seen before. And man, A, one of the scarier shows I've ever watched ever. Okay. It's very, very scary in moments. But one of the one of the greatest endings to like a terrifying horror series. Just like Midnight Mass. I really love the ending of Midnight mm-hmm. Mass. But it, mm-hmm. the way he ties everything together is so cool. Brilliant. So anyway, if you have already watched it or you haven't watched it. And you're, you know, I, I mean, I watch horror fucking 12 months of the year. I don't ever stop. Um, but if you're, if you're someone who like, likes to dab a little bit in horror, w- go there, watch that. I, now, so now I, I watched one episode or two episodes of the next show, Haunting of Bly Manor, and it gave up immediately because of my preconceived notions of the first one. Yeah. Now I'm like, holy shit, I okay. can't wait to fucking start Haunting of Bly Manor. Yeah. Um, so my, my, uh, just the tips is go watch Haunting of Hill House. And when you get to the episode, that is the one take episode. There's one particular episode a little bit deeper in the series where it's like, kind of like, um, uh, what was that movie that came out? 19, 1918 or, or, or oh, yeah. 1912 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The fucking, the war movie that was one take the whole movie. Oh, okay. It's one shot. It, it it's. It, I mean, it's a trick. It's trickery, but, but right. It, but there's a. They they they, seamlessly make it look like it's one take okay. the entire okay. uh, movie. Okay. Mike Flanagan does this for one of the episodes in, Haunting of Hill House. And I was watching it this, and I'd seen it the last time, and I went, "This was the coolest thing about the show." When I hated it, watching it the second time, I was like, "Wow, this is fucking really cool." Then I I looked into how they did it. Holy <laughs> shit. That made the show so much better because he does this massive Twitter rant. He went on Twitter and was like, everyone's asking me about the one take episode. So he broke down how the entire episode was shot and everything that went into it. And it is, man, anyone who's just like a film aficionado or yeah. like likes film in any sense of the word, the show is worth watching just for that one episode. Okay. It is so fucking cool. That's a, it's a really cool way now that we are inundated <laughs> with television shows and movies so many. and we've spent so much time watching them over yeah. the last two years. It is a really cool way of approaching 
watching films to uh, to watch films a bunch of films by one director and yes. get a sense of their style yeah and like exactly what you were describing and if nobody's ever done that before it oh, can be a so really fun. really enjoyable way of like yeah. even rewatching films that you've seen before but put them together yeah you know i used to like doing that with actors but it, it's it's a really great way way to like get a sense of someone's storytelling. And what's fun with the actors thing, what's fun about Mike Flanagan is he uses the same actors in all of his shows. That's awesome. He's got, he's like, he's found his muse in this group of actors that he's just, he recycles those actors in every series. Which is awesome for them because then they also get to act with people that they already know and have chemistry with already. Yes. Yes. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, that's a great, just the tips. I'm going to give you a, just the tips of my own. Um, so the podcasts that I kind of listen to every day, if there's an episode, um, one of them is morbid. I'm still really into those girls. And even though I don't agree with everything that they say, I, I, I scrolled back like a hundred episodes to before the time I started listening to them. And they've really upped their game over cool. the last like hundred episodes. Uh, I noticed that, but, um, the other two that are in my rotation, uh, pretty frequently are, um, my favorite murder and they also do true crimes retellings, but, and I don't even think they, that they do as good of a job as the morbid girls with their stories, but their laughter and their comedic like play with each other is, it cracks me up all the time. Sweet. And Steph mom never told you, uh, which is, which I also started listening to. It's kind of a feminist podcast. It may even be described as a feminist podcast, but it's also hosted by these two, two women. And I think what really endeared me to it besides that the, the content is good and it's not scripted either is, uh, is there laughter, especially this one, like one of the hosts laughter. It just really warms my heart. Sweet. Anyway, Steph mom never told you released an episode not too long ago called women's laughter. It's no joke. And it, it does a dive into women's laughter, how, why we laugh versus why other non women laugh, um, how we use it socially, how we use it intimately, like all of these really, that's interesting. And, and how it's portrayed too in the media, it's like girly and sweet, or it's like the evil cackle. Is there a lot of like, is it based in, like psych- psychological is it sort of like a psychological breakdown of laughter? Yeah, a little psychological and and just like an example just like not a it doesn't it does not really like in your face about it but but also talking about you know how we use it as a way of protection cool. but then how it can be interpreted as like being flirtatious even though it's uh, like a not not yeah, yeah, yeah. um just it's just it's huh. just a really interesting listen. You cool. never really thought about how you know, women's laughter. It was, it's something you said about how it's used in movies to characterize a woman. Mm. Like, you know, is she a good witch? Is she a bad witch? Like, right. You know, is she laughing? at (laughs) Exactly. That's a bad witch. And there's a couple of really great quotes that they throw down in there too. Margaret Atwood, something, uh, I believe her, her quote in the episode is, um, like, Oh, uh, man's worst fear uh, or 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 men are afraid that women will laugh at them mm. and women are afraid that men will kill them. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's heavy. 
Margaret Atwood, she's in some hot water right now. Oh. Some turf, some turf comments. Oh shit. Yeah. I don't know what turf stands for. Trans exclusionary uh radical feminist. Oh, okay. Feminist who doesn't believe it, that trans women are women. Oh, I see. Um uh yeah, maybe we can talk about that next week. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, it's it's a, been a long episode. Hey, I will. I'll, I'm going to put this out there. This is a call to action to all of our listeners. Um, I am fully, fully addicted to chess. Um, hardcore, like actually cannot. Like I am fucking. Um, Anna Anna Taylor Joy from Queen's Gambit. Like I'm laying in bed and fucking playing chess on the ceiling at night. I'm so into chess. I'm actually not that bad. I'm pretty good. And I, I'm playing... Bots. A lot. And I'm playing like seven, eight games at one time every day. Um, and aside from like randos that I play that have like open challenges on chess.com, the app. This is not an ad. Uh, <laughs> but it's the, like really the only place to play chess and it's where all the grandmasters play and yada, yada, whatever. Chess.com. That's the app. Um, I haven't found anyone who's like challenged me. There's one patron, a sick boy patron who I'm playing with right now, and she's pretty good. And she's she's giving me a run for my money. But I have beat her a couple of times, hopefully. And she's probably listening to this right now. If you're letting me win, you got to stop. <laughs> I don't want to say it because I don't want to be an asshole. Be like, are you letting me win? Um, but uh, but maybe that could that might be the case. Anyway, whatever. Here's the call to action. If you play chess, if you're good, if you're bad, doesn't fucking matter. I don't care. Add me. Add me on chess.com. Play me. I need people to play with and I need, I need to get better at chess. I want to start literally playing chess. I want to play tournaments. So I need to practice and I need people to practice with. I need to play with different types of players. So if you play chess at all, chess.com, get the app, add me, Jeremy Saunders, all one word, J-E-R-E-M-I-E-S-A-U-N-D-E-R-S. You'll see my photo. It's me. <laughs> Add me. And let's fucking play chess. Please beat me. Challenge me. Show me something. Teach me. Wow, babe. Holy fuck, I love this it. This is a whole new you. I love chess so much, man. I'm really it's, happy it really, for you. It's just such a brilliant game. Anyway, so add me on chess. I want to play everyone. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. Well... With that, then, thank you so much for listening. To our patrons, we love you all. Uh, we've got the Human Connection Workshop coming up really soon. That's on Sunday. On Sunday. Um, there should be a link somewhere. Yeah, it's going to be a Zoom uh, meeting this time. And we will, patrons, will put the password uh, for you to enter for free on Patreon. And uh, for everyone else, if you are interested in joining, uh, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. If you hit, hit me up with your email, then I, I can send you the link and the payment details. It's going to be 15 bucks a person. Or if you come with a partner, uh, you can do it for 25 bucks. Yes, that's right. You heard it right. You can also do this uh, little class on your own. You don't necessarily Ooh. need a partner, but you can bring a partner. Um, the more the merrier. And uh, it's just going to be a really nice sort of therapeutic hour of, of, uh, of moving around and patting ourselves on the back, literally and figuratively. Lovely. Uh, thanks for tuning in. If you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts, leave a rating or review on Spotify. Hit the follow button. Um, and again, to our patrons, we love you. Patreon.com slash Termion. We wouldn't be able to do the show without you. 
If you want to support the podcast, that is the place to do it. Um, add me on chess.com, Jeremy Saunders, no spaces, just the name. And uh, that is it for this week. Until next week. Go touch yourself. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.